My name's Michael and welcome to The Good People Effect. The Good People Effect is what happens when you're surrounded with the right people, the right energy to help you grow. This podcast is all about helping you grow your own creativity, your adventurous spirit and your purpose in life. So please sit back, relax and enjoy another episode of The Good People Effect podcast. Welcome back to the Good People Effect podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. It's been a very special week for me because I'm actually launching my very first YouTube channel called Today Dreamer. And it's all about cultivating personal growth, inspiring adventurous living and motivating action within you. So if you're the type of person that feels like you want some more personal growth in your life and you feel like you're uncomfortably comfortable at the moment and you want to start taking some risks so you can grow as a human being, then this channel is definitely for you. Some episodes are going to be things that I've learned through my own personal experience um, in combination with different bits of information that I've sourced from all around the internet and put together in a really detailed, useful, practical and concise manner. Um, And other episodes are just going to be me gallivanting around the world, little adventures that I'm getting up to. Recently sold all my things, jumped on a plane and now I'm kind of just traveling around and making little videos. So uh, that's going to be the other side of the channel. Uh, so please go to Today Dreamer on YouTube and click on subscribe and click on the little notification bell so you get notified every time a new episode comes out. And if you haven't had a chance yet, go to Instagram and just type in today.dreamer and follow me there. You'll see everything I'm up to and you'll get kind of notified when I've got a new project I'm about to launch. Uh, anyways, enough about me. Today I've got a very special guest called Amanda Kendall. She's got her own podcast called The Thoughtful Travel Podcast. And Amanda's been talking to people every single week, different travelers from all over all over the world about travel. So I thought, why not get her on the podcast and find out her thoughts, her perceptions on budget versus lavish travel, solo versus group travel, um, traveling, uh, the reasons people travel and the growth you can get through travel and just different stories and places that she's been to and interesting things. So we're talking travel today with Amanda Kendall. Please sit back, relax and enjoy another episode of The Good People Effect podcast okay awesome um so let's let's hear a little bit about your podcast so the thoughtful travel podcast how long have you been running that for you a couple of years you said yes about two and a half years i started it launched on my 40th birthday which seemed like a fun idea but now really dates me because then i have to say yeah it launched (laughs) on my 40th birthday two and a half years ago um but uh i had been a long-term lover of listening to podcasts um of all kinds but I could never find like travel podcasts that I really got hooked on. A lot of them were about kind of destination based and they were interesting if I like had been to that place or was particularly interested or, but it wasn't kind of like, I didn't necessarily want to know where should I go in X country right now. I wanted to hear more stories and, you know, I love thinking about the lessons we learn from travel and all of that kind of stuff. So I decided to put together a podcast and I kind of mulled it over for a couple of years before I finally sat down and did it. But um, yeah, so it's um, a lot of fun, a lot of work, but I have on each episode, I'll feature kind of three guests and their stories about a particular topic. So this week we had um, an episode about um, unusual food experiences. So that was kind of a fun one. And sometimes it'll be like we had one on, on grief and travel. So people who were traveling to deal with grief. So kind of the full spectrum of, of fun to serious, but always kind of trying to share interesting, fun stories and some of the reasons why travel is so good for us. 
Have you heard any really good, interesting, fun stories recently? Oh, I <laughs> I hear them all the time. Um, let me think of the most recent. Oh, I don't know, not so recent, but one that sticks with me is I had a guest on, his name's Matt, he's an Aussie, and he had been on the way to, now I want to say Bangladesh. I'm pretty sure I'm right to say it was Bangladesh. He got uh, a last-minute plane to go there because he kind of had a week with nothing to do. He was in Asia somewhere. And he just, you know, randomly took this flight and he noticed on the way there that there were no other tourists on the plane bar this American couple, okay, which he turned out they weren't tourists. They lived there um, full time. And they kind of said to him, you know, what are you doing? Why are you coming here? And he goes, oh, I just had wanted to go somewhere. And so it was kind of really <laughs> random. And then they arrived and got to immigration at the airport and they were all, you don't have a visa, you can't come in. And he um, didn't know that you needed a visa because he'd never bothered to, you know, look that up. He just kind of hopped on a plane and um, he tried a couple of ideas. And then he went, he had a, another idea and he went to a guard and um, he shouldn't, but he bribed him and um, with some American money he had. And the guard kind of um, like scribbled something in his passport and said, okay, go through there again. But he didn't know kind of what had happened and he was a bit unsure. He thought he was about to get arrested any second. And then it turns out that the guy had written in that he was an American diplomat. And um, so he got in and then got all this fancy treatment because he had diplomatic status there. <laughs> and he got put <laughs> in a crazy. fancy taxi and off he went. So, yeah. So I thought and that is something so, I would never try. I would never do it. But I love the story. I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like he's really good at thinking on his feet. And what do you reckon the lesson from that story was? Oh, well, <laughs> there's a couple of possible <laughs> lessons, I suppose. My sensible lesson would be do your research before you go somewhere and find out if you need a visa because you may not be that lucky. Um, but you are dead right. The other lesson is think on your feet, keep talking, and if you don't get the right answer or the answer you want, go and ask someone else and uh, see yeah. what happens. So, yeah, things that's can be so flexible. Good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I might, um, might have to use that one in the future if I ever get into a jam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've thought of the same. <laughs> So um, I know you've you've lived around the world in a few places. You were in uh, Japan for a while and Slovakia. Just listened to your podcast. You mentioned it a few times, and um, I just wanted to know. Like I've been to Japan as well, and for me, it, it's probably the only place I've ever been that felt like I was on a different planet. <laughs> um, I wanted to see what your thoughts on Japan were and what the experience was like living there. Uh, yeah, you're dead right. It is like being on another planet and that's why I loved it. Like every day there was something new and unusual. I lived there for two years and it was still by the end complete novelty all the time. Um, and it's kind of an unusual place because, you know, it's very first world. It's very modern. So it feels like it should feel like home and yet nothing about it is like home. It's, you know, every little every little thing you do every day is different to back home. Uh, and I loved it for so many reasons. Like the people are awesome. They're so friendly and so polite, um, you know, just endlessly, endlessly helpful. And I love the food. Um, I could easily just choose to eat Japanese food every day for the rest of my life and I'd be fine with that. The food's crazy, huh? It's just oh, unbelievable. Like so good. And there's so much, like, you know, what we can see in Australia as Japanese food is like 2% of all the possibilities. Yeah. There's just so much more and it's all amazing and pretty healthy too, which I like. So 
Um, yeah, it was awesome. And all the, just the, all the culture and the traditions and stuff, you know, there's always a festival on here or there and so much interesting stuff to see. So I know I adored it. I just took my son back there earlier this year. It was his first time there. And I've been, um, I think I wrote in a blog post, I've been brainwashing him for his whole eight years to love Japan <laughs> and, and it worked. <laughs> so he, he adored yeah. it as well. It was such an awesome trip. Lucky little dude just gets to travel around with you. That's awesome. <laughs> He's so I lucky. I tell him that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he is when he's older in comparison to maybe children that haven't traveled. I find that fascinating because um, you obviously you grow so much through travel, but um, especially when your mind's such a sponge at that age, I think it would be uh, awesome. Like it would just be so rewarding um, and it will come in handy, like all the lessons he's learned um, later on in life, I think. I really hope so. Yeah. I, I I like to think that that's true and I can see he's different in some ways already and he's very open-minded and accepting of difference and, um, and really, really curious about the world and, um, not judgmental about differences. So yeah, hopefully that that all continues and, um, and escalates and it turns him into a kind of a decent adult, fingers crossed. Yeah. He's just going to be an awesome human. I hope so. <laughs> so Tell me about these uh, Japanese snacks that you're into because I know that you're into them and I'm really into them as well. And there's this one, I don't know if you know about it. It's it's like this wafer. It's like a square wafer. There's two there's two pieces of wafer and then in the middle, I don't know if it's, no, if it's wafer. It's like biscuit or something that's like slightly burnt. And then in the middle, there's like white chocolate and it comes in this like blue packet with like stars and the moon on it. I know the one you, you mean. I, I have no idea what it's called, but I know the one. It's awesome. Yum. This is the best stuff ever. And it's like really expensive and hard to find. Yes, 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 like, yes. That's, I yeah, can't think yeah. what it's called, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's so many. And that's the thing about Japan. They have curious, awesome snacks everywhere. And then yeah. like in each region, they always have their own specialty snacks. Like that's the thing. Cause that's what you bring. If you've been on a trip somewhere in Japan, you bring the omiyage, the, you know, the local souvenirs, which is always some you know, weird snack. So, um, but have you got any names that I can like write down and order online? Because oh, I'm gosh. keen for some Japanese snacks <laughs> and you seem to know your stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm terrible though. I just eat them all and I never remember what any of them are called, but I actually, um, I was talking to my son about it the other day and he, what he wants most is when we were there last, we found, um, these little kind of jelly, tiny jelly cups and they were called, um, konyaku jelly. And so konyaku is one of those weird Japanese vegetables. It's kind of like a, a sweet potato-y root vegetable kind of thing. And it's very, very sticky. And they use it to make this jelly. And then they flavor it. Like we had these amazing um, peach konyaku jellies. And um, we bought them not really knowing what they were because we were just in a supermarket kind of grabbing all the random bags. As, as you, you do. do yeah. <laughs> and, um, but then I got home and I saw on the packet, and we're back at our apartment, that they had these big warning signs all over it with this, um, like kind of dead faced baby looking on it. And I was like, Oh, what's this all about? And I started to get a bit worried. And so I Googled it before I would let my son eat it. And it turns out that because this jelly is very kind of, um, Oh, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of a very thick, chewy, or very chewy kind of jelly. And there must've been some incidents with like quite young children or elderly people who didn't have good kind of chewing and swallow reflexes, choking on these konyaku jelly snacks. And so they had these big warning signs all over the packet. So I said to my son, okay, you're not a baby anymore. Just chew carefully, please. And um, and then we ate them. And so delicious and apparently healthy. 
because this cognac like stuff it, is healthy. So even though even though like there's a, a risk of dying, I think I'd still want to try it. Like they're yes. just Japanese. It's just you can't stay away from them. Absolutely, different... and I think you're in the right age group. I think you're okay to chew carefully. So I don't know. I struggle sometimes, but I'm sure I'll be all right. <laughs> and um, yeah, so. That's Japan, and I know we we haven't even scratched the surface, but we could talk about Japan for hours. I want to know about Slovakia because that's like for me that doesn't sound like that sounds a bit off the beaten path. It sounds like maybe not the most touristy destination. Why did you choose to go there, and and what was that experience like? Well, that's a really good question. So, firstly, I didn't actually choose to go there. I um I was teaching okay. English at the time, and I was teaching English in Japan. And then it was time to move on and I got a job in Prague. And so this was like 2003. Prague was, you know, like the new darling. It was like where everyone wanted to go. And so I was travelling I was traveling across like Russia and then down through Eastern Europe to get there, slowly, obviously. And at some internet cafe along the way, I got a message from the school who had hired me to say they had overhired for Prague. Would I like a job in Bratislava? And I didn't really know where Bratislava was. In fact, I actually had no idea. But I said, yes, because I needed a job somewhere. So I said, yes. And then I looked it up. Okay, capital of Slovakia. All right, fair enough. So I got there and it was awesome. I was so glad that I ended up there and not Prague. I mean, Prague's a beautiful place, but even then it was already pretty overrun with tourists. And you're right. Um, Bratislava's much more off the beaten track. And especially back then, like 2003, 2004, I was there. So it was like a good, you know, decade or so after the, um, you know, Iron Curtain fell and all of that, but it still wasn't in the EU. So it was still kind of in that middle state. And like the people I met who are my age had grown up completely under socialism and were still trying to figure out what to do with these new freedoms. And it wasn't necessarily better for them. And so it was utterly, utterly fascinating to live there. Yeah, yeah that's really fascinating. That would have been a really unique experience and um, a time, I guess, that you can't really go back to. That's really cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've been back since and now that it's part of the EU, it's just not the same. It's still a great, great city to explore. But um, yeah, it was a really special time to be there. There's something about, I don't know, there's something about off the beaten path travel that I really admire. And I think I've really come to um, like love it even more on this trip. And I guess like less, like I've decided I really don't really like being around a lot of tourists. And I know that sounds kind of weird because I'm a tourist myself, but I feel like a lot of people go to certain places because they kind of have to do's like, okay, we're going to go to the Eiffel Tower. We're going to go to Machu Picchu because we have to do these things because you kind of have to do it if you're in the area. But uh, I kind of like really noticed that I have much better experiences when I'm, you know, a million miles away from anyone, uh, let alone any tourists. And I'm just kind of connecting with nature or just kind of getting to know people without, um, without all these other kind of people around, I guess. And I don't know, like, and there's, there's things to be said about certain places that, uh, are, are on the tourist trail and they're, they're really worth going to, but I don't know. I've been really put off by it. What's your thought on, on all of that? Yeah, I'm, I mostly agree. I, I still think like the touristy places are touristy places for a reason, you know, like there's something really special about them. So I don't necessarily avoid them, but, um, I still, I, I guess on the whole, I spend more time exploring other parts of a destination. So like one day I'll have to take my son to Paris and I've been to Paris a few times um, but he will want to go to the Eiffel Tower because he's seen it everywhere, you know, in, in books and movies and whatever his whole life. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I'll take him to the Eiffel Tower. But even then I would kind of make sure I do it at, a, at the optimal time, you know, try and avoid 
um, the tourist crushes. So when I've been there in the past, I've been there like really early or really late and stuff like that. Um, but mm. otherwise, I totally agree. And getting somewhere where there's fewer tourists is often much more interesting. And I think when you go somewhere touristy that you've heard a lot about, you have a lot of expectations. And yeah. it's very hard for a, a real-life place to really meet those expectations. Um, whereas if you're going somewhere that you don't know much about or that's you know just not in mainstream media and stuff, then you don't have many expectations and it can really wow you instead. So I think mm -hmm. that... Um, yeah, like I don't think you need to avoid all the mainstream tourist places, but focus on trying to get somewhere else. And don't try, you know, I always am concerned by the people who try and do, you know, 10 countries in Europe in four, three or four weeks. I think you're just scratching the surface yeah. and seeing the hotspots and that's all. And I think that can't be any fun. So I think uh, yeah. just pick one or two I'm places that appeal to you the most and go there instead. Yeah, I feel like you really get to know somewhere if you spend a while there and you really get to, I don't know, you feel a bit more at home and you feel like you really, the culture um, sinks in a little bit more when you're, when you're in a certain place for a couple of days. And it's even harder when people are um, not only doing that, but sometimes they sign up to these tours where they run you around, you know, all around Europe for a couple of days. And I know that, you know, you grab, you, you get really close with the same people on the tour and it becomes like a family and it's really great. But I feel like that you lose that flexibility of being able to stay or leave as you please or really getting to know somewhere. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I've never been on that kind of group tour and I don't think I ever will because I think it would be hell on earth for me um, to be rushed <laughs> around to all those different places. It's just not my thing. But um, yeah. but having said that, you know, for some people who've never travelled much and are concerned about doing it more independently, then that can be a legitimate way to at least get a first taste. So I guess yeah, for you know, sure. there's for a sure. reason for everything to exist, but yeah, not my kind of thing. So just since we're on the topic of travel and since that's kind of what the podcast's about and what your podcast's about, what do you think is, uh, it's a big question and, um, I like big questions. Answer, you like. What do you think the, uh, what do you think makes traveling so special? Oh, that is a big question. Um, but I personally think travel is completely life-changing and that's why it's so special. I think that you learn things about yourself and about the world when you're traveling that you might be able to learn if you stay home, but possibly not ever. And it probably takes a lot longer. Kind of life is sort of intensified and sped up when you're traveling and you kind of can learn these things a lot a lot faster. You know, you're not bound by your normal everyday routine of getting up and going to work or getting up and going to school or whatever. It's you're taken away from your normal stuff and, and your brain gets to kind of, you know, there's, there's space for a start because you've lost all that, you know, everyday stuff you have to do. And you are constantly inspired by everything around you, new people, new places, new sites, new foods, new everything. And I think that just really highlights, you know, what's important to you in life and, you know, what you might need to change about your life and those kind of things. So that's for me, like that's the real buzz of travel is that I always feel so inspired when I'm, when I'm away from home. Yeah. Do you think there's a way to accelerate that growth even more while you're traveling? Like, do you think there's a mindset that you could cultivate to actually um, help you grow at a faster rate? Because I know there's definitely ones that can hold you back. So there must be ones that can do the opposite, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I think there are. I think um, if you can deliberately really kind of try hard to be very open and to suspend judgment about things and just kind of like have that kind of say yes attitude, like whatever's thrown at you, just say yes and have a go. I think that kind of very open mindset can 
can accelerate that growth and can lead you into situations that you probably would never expect to find yourself in. And, and those are the, usually the ones that help you grow the most. Cool. And I've got a random question and this just came to me because you know, when you're on, when you're traveling around and you speak to people and it's like, it, usually for me, it's a really cool way to find out about all these cool things that aren't, aren't in the guidebook and these experiences people have had and these stories they tell you lead to awesome experiences that you can have as well. So I've been speaking to a lot of people and Iran's come up a lot. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, and it's really unexpected. It was really like um, not a place that I had on my radar. Do you know much about Iran? Have you been there? Do you know anyone that has? I haven't been there, but I know a few of my photographer friends have been there and taken tours there, and it sounds amazing and looks beautiful. Um, and I've yeah. had you know a bunch of Iranian friends here in Perth who are always such delightful people, so I would go there if I were you. I'm super keen. Good, super do keen. It. I just, yeah, I wanted to see if you <laughs> if you knew much about it. But yeah, it's just everyone's talking about it. There's a big buzz about it. And not everyone, but everyone that I've spoken to has mentioned it uh, as their favorite place. Like whoever has mentioned it, has, it's been their favorite mm. place. And they've said that the people are just so warm there and it's nothing like what a lot of people expect. And um, the, the landscape's so diverse and, you know, it's just crazy. Um, and there's no tourists there as well. And it's just like a, like the next kind of, uh, sweet spot that's kind of untouched. So I'm definitely keen to check it out. Um, yeah, okay. Do so do you have any, uh, money saving budget travel tips for me? Do you have any like, uh, little hacks? Oh, I don't have any real hacks. I'm kind of a thrifty person by nature. So my dad was okay. a bank manager, so that has always <laughs> influenced me. Um, but I guess what I think a lot of people do is they, they expect to have a, quite a lot of comfort in their accommodation and that has never been a high priority for me. Like as long as, as long as something is clean and safe, then I'm happy to stay there. Like I, it just doesn't bother me. I'm not going to spend that much time in my accommodation. So who cares if it's a fancy hotel or not? So, I mean, I hardly ever stay in hotels. I tend to be in like Airbnbs or other kinds of apartments or in hostels and, um, you know, and, I'm not the kind of traveler who is, especially at my age and with the sun, I'm not in a bunk room in a hostel, but you know, there's lots of hostels with private rooms and stuff like that. So I always find it a shame when people go on holidays and they spend two or $300 a night on accommodation. And I'm thinking that's like my budget for the whole time I'm gone for, you know, Crazy, two weeks yeah. of accommodation and stuff like that. So I guess that's my, my number one thing as, as to how I'm able to travel more is, is because accommodation can be a huge cost, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it's one of the main ones, right? So all you really have is your accommodation, your experiences, and your food and drinks and whatever else. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah. Um, sorry, your transport. And your transport from or, yeah. one place to another. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, have you ever couch surfed before? Have you heard about couch surfing? I haven't couch surfed, and I probably wouldn't do it with my son with me, but in the future yeah. I would. So, yeah, I've done... Um, it's really cool. Yeah, it, it is awesome from everything I've heard. And I think I was just... When I was traveling a lot, it wasn't hadn't really taken off. Um, but if I... Like when I was traveling kind of full time. But if I'd been traveling like five years later, I totally would have done it. So, yeah, I think it's a great yeah. idea. So for everyone out there that doesn't know what couch surfing is, you can pretty much sign up, share your couch with other people. And when you travel around the world, you get an opportunity to share other people's couches or spare rooms or whatever else. But it's more than that, I think. You get mm. to like meet people and they show you around. And I always believe, believe that like a local experience is so much more 
um, interesting and, and um, <laughs> it's fun because you get to see these places. And I mean, if someone came to Melbourne, they would have an okay time. But if they came to Melbourne and saw me, they would have an awesome time. So it's kind of like that um, uh, passing it on or how do you say it? Like, I don't know. Yeah, but you're right because if someone's offering up a, a room in, room or a bed or a couch in their house for free, it's because they're interested in meeting people from other places. So you're going to have a great um, a great time exploring. Hope you're enjoying this chat with Amanda Kendall. Just wanted to throw this out there one more time. So I'm just about to launch my brand new YouTube channel called Today Dreamer and it's all about actively making improvement in your life starting today. I'll be providing you some practical methods, personal growth hacks and sharing some of my own experiences along the way. So start now by subscribing and clicking that little bell so you don't miss anything on YouTube. Today Dreamer on YouTube. Anyways, back to the chat with Amanda Kendall. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we've spoken about budget travel. We've kind of spoke about traveling with the little one and and um, having a, like different travel mindsets. What are your thoughts on slow travel versus fast travel? Right. So if I have a choice, I am a slow traveler as much as possible. So, I mean, when I was living overseas, I thought two years in a country was a good amount of time to spend. But um, unfortunately, I realized that I, you know, I was already in my 20s. I didn't have that many lots of two years left in my life to be able (laughs) to see everywhere I wanted to see. So I think there's a time and a place for both. But um, I mean, fast travel, sometimes I have to do it just because that's, you know, we've only got a short time of school holidays or like if I'm going to a conference, that's just how it is. Um, but even when you're, you know, traveling and moving quite quickly, I think you can kind of cultivate the feeling of slow travel, like rather than packing your day full of going to see four different sites, pick one and also go to a cafe somewhere where you can sit on the street and watch people for an hour or two and kind of, you know, soak in the atmosphere of the place, go to the local supermarket, do the things that you would do if you were staying there for a longer time. So I yeah, think, I turn um, into a bit of a bit of a creep when I'm overseas. I do a lot of watching. I like watch <laughs> a lot of people and just listen to what they're like, their strange languages and just their mannerisms. And you see so much weird shit, but it's really cool. I Absolutely. really enjoy it. Uh, I'm a total people watcher. So yeah, um, I'm a creep just like you in that case. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but ideally like slow travel is my favorite. I mean, I, I we had... Um, we only had time to have about two and a half weeks in Japan earlier this year, but rather than try and take my son to Tokyo and Osaka and Hiroshima and, you know, the whole length of Japan, we stayed purely around the Kansai area. We had basically a week in Kyoto, a week in Osaka and half a week in Nagoya. And, you know, it's, we met, that meant we had days where we didn't really do anything special other than go to the 100 yen shop and have, you know, a nice lunch somewhere and, you know, just get the feeling of being in that neighbourhood. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of other people's itineraries for two and a half weeks in Japan would have included hopping on the bullet train every second day to get to a new destination and see all the things. But I would rather that we had a more in-depth experience of just one section of Japan and yeah. even if we never got back to see any more, I still think that's that's a better experience than rushing over the all over the country and seeing yeah. everything, quote unquote. And and do you kind of plan when before you go on a trip? Do you plan everything out to the T? Do you kind of how do you find places to go and like how do you do your planning and organisation for things you want to see and things like that? I'm a bit um, kind of half plan, half not. Uh, these days, I tend to book accommodation ahead of time. I used to never book any accommodation, but 
now with like Airbnb and stuff, if you want to have a, like I've, we have had stayed in an, some amazing Airbnb apartments that if I had left till the last minute wouldn't have been around. And, and you got to get in early. Yeah. 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 So kind of, I, I quite like organizing that, but for the day to day kind of part of it, like when we were in Osaka, I had made a list of some places that I thought we should go. And I, you know, do a bit of reading on other people's blogs and stuff to see, you know, what's around these days. And also I'd never been to Japan with a kid before. So, you know, if there's other places that might be especially good for that. But like I was in Osaka for a week or so and I had a list of half a dozen places I thought we might go. And then just depending on the day and the weather as well, we kind of picked one each day and off we went. So, you know, not yeah. too much planning, yeah. but a bit of an idea ahead of time. Um, I mean, and thank I've, goodness for the internet. I can look up stuff while I'm there as well and just, you know, play yeah. it by ear a bit. I, I think it's kind of nice doing it without the internet as well sometimes. Like oh, I yeah. was in, when I was in Japan, I took like two weeks out of the four and I just just took the guidebook and tried figuring it out. And I got so lost so many times, but it's all part of it. And you discover places that you wouldn't have gone as well. But, yeah, it is handy having the net as well. Um, oh, I agree, though. Nice I think it's kind of so sad. Nice. I, I find the internet, like I love it. I couldn't didn't wouldn't have a job without it and all of that. But it is a kind of – it's sort of sad. When I was travelling more full-time – the internet existed, but like in internet cafes and there was no smartphones or anything. So you really couldn't rely on it for anything. And it was so much more fun because you would yeah, you used to use a, map, a physical map and you'd get lost a lot and you would use your guidebook to find accommodation or just wander looking for um, accommodation signs and lots of more fun things happened that way. Sometimes you'd be wandering for a long time, but you know, it's good exercise. <laughs> it's all part of it. Yep. Yeah. So I do miss <laughs> And I've also heard... I was in Hawaii recently, like, uh, like, I don't know, six or seven weeks ago. And I was talking to this uh, couple that I met on this like hike. And they were saying that a really good way um, that they find things to do is just to talk to old people. Mm. Like they just, wherever they are, they just find old people and just have chats with them. And they just find out about like a bunch of cool stuff. That's a great um, idea. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Oh, I'm going to try that next time. Great idea. <laughs> find some old people. Yep. <laughs> uh, so do you have any like hidden gems that you've discovered over the years? Uh, any places that are just really special to you um, that people might not have thought about? Um, there's heaps, but um, well, one I was talking to a friend about the other day, they were planning a trip to Germany. So I lived in Germany for a couple of years after Slovakia. And you can see that German book behind you right now. Oh, can you? <laughs> <laughs> well done. You've got good eyes. And um I always find like Germany's a funny place. It's not very well marketed, I think, as a tourist destination. And then what is marketed is like just a few very popular spots. And so I was living in the south and there's this town called um, Rottenburg ob der Taube, which is like marketed as this very, you know, quaint old village town and it has some special dessert. I can't remember what they're called. And Bavarian Bavarian cheesecake. Uh, that sounds likely. No, it's some kind of ball thing. I can't remember. But anyway, it's like one of those places and all the tourists go there. It wasn't far from where I lived. But every time I went there, it was full of tourists. But it's just a normal village. And if you like, have a car especially, but even if you're on the train, if you just wander around the southwest of Germany and go to the small towns that are and the villages that are not on the tourist trail, they are like absolutely gorgeous. They're like out of a fairy tale book. They've got, you know, town, old town walls and castle ruins and, um, you know, fancy, you know, brightly coloured painted houses. And they're just absolutely gorgeous. And 
so much better than the ones that are on the tourist trail. And I always um, try and encourage people just to, like Germany is such an easy place to get off the beaten track. If you get lost, someone will help you. Oh, yeah? Everyone will speak English. It's, you know, it's an easy place to, yeah. to test your going off the beaten track kind of skills. So um, I, I like that. And I think it's kind of nice when you go to places like that because people look at you, they look at you a bit strange, but in a cool way. Yeah. Like they're like, I haven't seen a tourist for a long time. And you're like, yeah, that's right. That's me. And and then you kind of, uh, you get a little bit more attention and it's a bit uh, smoother when you talk to them and things like that. I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Because in the places where all the tourists are, the locals are quite understandably, you know, pretty fed up with having all those <laughs> tourists around. And yet they kind yeah. of need them for because they've built all these industries about them, around them. But yeah, I think yeah, the smaller really places are better. Where I am at the moment in Medellin, Colombia, it's really strange because it was where Pablo Escobar used to be and um, that wasn't so long ago that all that happened and, and there's a real kind of um, turnaround in this place. Like it was actually one of the most dangerous places in the world and now uh, every year it's just getting more and more touristy and uh, it's changing kind of um, the landscape of how everything works around here. It's really strange. Um, but it was interesting talking to locals about all of that and to get their kind of version um, everyone kind of sees Pablo Escobar as like this hero, I guess, um, in Western society. He's not really a hero, but they like they find it very fascinating and interesting. But over here, the people are like, couldn't think of anyone worse. And they're, and they're really um, all the things that had happened here. But I didn't see that side of things until I got here and started talking to the people. But yeah, anyways, it's interesting how mm. a place can re- really turn around um, with tourism and the positive and negative effects of that. Because yeah. like you said, it does bring bring money in and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I would love to get there. I definitely want to get to Colombia one day. Yes, well, if you do ever come to Colombia, definitely go to Medellin, uh, Bogota, which is very different. A lot of tourists don't really like it, but if you spend a bit of time there, you'll fall in love. Um, and Cali, which is like a, ah. the salsa dancing capital of the world. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah, awesome. Yes. Yeah, as I said before, I had lots of um, students when I was teaching English here in Perth who were from Colombia. So all those um, city names are very familiar to me and I can picture the people who came from each place. So I have to look them up and you have could... a proper local experience. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds like the best idea. I yeah. think um, you'll, you'll really love it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really wanted to talk to you about travel and, and your kind of point of view and everything. And I think it's been really, really good. Um, and I, but I also believe that it's important to explore your own backyard. And I feel like a lot of people everywhere I've been around the world, people don't do that enough. Like, uh, people in Europe, um, a lot of people I've met haven't really traveled around Europe. You know, they've been to Australia, but they haven't been to Europe or people yep. here, they've, you know, um, for whatever reason, haven't really explored a lot of Colombia. So, uh, it's really, really strange why uh, – I'm not sure why humans do that, but I feel like it's kind of um, important to do that. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I absolutely agree, but I have been – you know, I've often been guilty of the same. Um, and, I, you know, mm-hmm. I've grown up in Perth, which is um, apparently the most isolated city in the world. And um, certainly when I was younger, we always said it was one of the most boring cities in the world. And I think back then it probably was. But it's now not. And I was kind of forced to explore Perth and even more of my state. Um, over the last few years, I've you know been invited on bloggers trips and stuff. And one particular um, time, there was a group of British bloggers who were being brought out to see WA. And um, they had someone pull out at the last minute, like at the airport, they were too sick to fly. And so suddenly they needed someone who was already on the ground in Perth to join their itinerary. And um, 
I kind of thought, oh, well, you know, I mean, I know Perth, but okay, you know, it was um, it was a good gig, so I thought, okay. And so it was really interesting to be travelling around with this group of um, British bloggers who had never been to Perth and had, you know, they were like, oh, look, that's amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. And like to be able to see it through their eyes was kind of, well, eye-opening and um, made me think, oh, Perth's not so bad. And plus so much has changed in the last sort of 10 to 15 years and even just in the last five years, Perth has changed constantly. It's just had a real evolution. So it's been really good to to watch that. And now I try, I do try really hard to keep up with that and see, um, you know, what's all the good things about my backyard. Uh, but I think, it, yeah. yeah, I think it's human nature. I guess because when you're at home, you're in that daily grind of work or school or whatever it is. And so it's hard to feel in that kind of holiday mode. But I try I make a conscious effort to try and do it more. And at least once or sometimes twice a year, my son and I will go and have a an overnight stay somewhere like in a hotel in, in Perth or down in Fremantle or something and be tourists for 24 hours. And, um, yeah. and that kind of, you know, we always find new places we haven't been to. And, you know, then you feel like you're on holidays and you're supposed to look around. It's, yeah, it's kind of a mindset thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely something to be said about treating it as a holiday destination, even though it's your hometown, like finding the places that you haven't been or, you know, going one direction that you've never been down before or even just going to the cinemas on your own or doing something that might seem strange to most people um, at home. Like, I don't know, like there's just something really nice about it because yeah, you, totally. you, don't, you don't need to be on the other side of the world. You can still have that mindset. But you're right; it is it is a little bit hard. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be car. really deliberate about it. So, because I work for myself and I work kind of every day because I have to work around my son and stuff. So basically, I work every day. But I try um, to have this like monthly, once a month, to have a complete day off where I just go and do something like that. Like sometimes it'll be go to the cinemas on my own to see exactly what I want to see, and then take myself to mm-hmm. lunch at some new place. Or it'll be to go down to Fremantle, the port town here, and have a proper walk around and explore, or those kind of, um, you know, escapes from real life, I suppose, which is kind of what travelling feels like. But you can do it when you're at home as well. You just have to be deliberate about it. Yeah. Have you – this is going to be another big question, just thought of it, and I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> I'm scared now. So – you should be. Uh, <laughs> so, nah, it's not that bad. I just wanted to know, um, like, you've spoken to a lot of people. Like, you were saying that you had, like, three people on every show and you've done, like, shows for two years, right? So that's a lot of people. Um, have you had any lessons that have come up, uh, travel lessons that have come up constantly, things that are kind of, like, really potent um, and really evident with travel? Mm. Um, that you- that's a great question. Um, I'm just trying to think back kind of what's the most common and the most important lessons people have learnt. I think um, certainly like how resilient you are and how much you can put up with and how you can deal with a tricky situation. I think that's something that's come up really frequently is, you know, people have found themselves, you know, in, in a tight squeeze somewhere or, you know, lost or sick while they're away and stuff like that. And it's the sort of thing you think, oh, you know, you worry about it before you go. Uh, but when it happens, you you find a way. You know, you can – nearly every problem has a, has a good solution or many possible solutions. And um, I think that's a common one. And kind of related to that is a lot of people, and me included, have talked about how they can be often really anxious before they travel. And, you know, and I think it's normal to be anxious about, you know, lots of big things in life. And I still get really worried before every trip I do. And I've had, you know, hundreds of trips, but I still get worried really, um, you know, stupidly worried. 
and I think that, you know, it's a, it's a real cliched saying, but that feel the fear and do it anyway thing really applies strongly. And I've been surprised by how many travellers I've talked to who are really, uh, really experienced travellers, but they are fearful of various parts of their trips, whether it's before or during or whatever. But they do it anyway because they know that there's enough good that comes out of it that they really want to do it. And I think that's kind of a good philosophy for life. You know, you kind of got to, you want to be pushing, pushing your comfort zone. And if you're not, if you're always comfortable, then you're not growing or changing. And that's probably not a good way to be. But if you can at least get on the border of your comfort zone and push yourself a bit, then you're changing and growing and life is as it should be. That's, that's, you summed it up perfectly. I've just, I literally just did an episode of that on my new upcoming series today, dreamer on the exact same thing that we, that you just mentioned. So <laughs> perfect. that's a, like today I was just like repeating the same thing over and over. Oh, that's so that's awesome. just kind of crazy. <laughs> um, Meant to be. Yeah, no, definitely agree with that. Like I get, I get nervous before every trip. I got really nervous before this one cause I kind of sold everything I own and I just went overseas. So mm-hmm. I was really worried about how everything would, would work out. But it's, I guess it's the kind of fear, like you said, it's kind of the fear that, you should lean into like it's the fear that you need to follow if you're going to grow and change and and um you know develop as a person like that's definitely the fear that you want to follow um but i feel like just when while we're talking about anxiety and fear a lot of people feel like so many places around the world are are more dangerous than they are and this might be something that's come up with you before as well but um i feel like uh i get that feeling as well and I feel like it's never as bad as uh, what the media says or what, you know, what your mum's heard from her friend's friend or whatever. Yes. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. 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 What I would think, your tips be on moving past that fear or I think um, it's feeling Im- more comfortable? It's important not to listen to your mother sometimes <laughs> or, um, or to your mother's friend. <laughs> uh, and honestly, for example, I don't watch the news usually. I try not to um, get too much information. Like really? I'm, I'm the same. I've never met anyone like that before. I've honestly never met anyone that doesn't watch the news either. Yeah, That's really I, strange. I, f- I find that it's so fear-mongering, the news. So I, it started yeah. by accident. Like when I lived overseas, I couldn't really see much of it anyway. It was pre-internet. So I kind of got out of the loop of following the news. And then mm-hmm. I came home and I had a son and I didn't – and he's always been a bit anxious and I didn't want to watch the news in front of him because the news often has kind of, you know, scary sort of things yeah. happening, especially if you're a little kid. And then as he got older and he'd be out like at a friend's or something, I would sit down and watch – I thought, oh, look, I've got the evening to myself. I can watch the news. And I sat down to watch the news and I thought, why does anyone <laughs> subject themselves to this, <laughs> this half hour yeah. of torture? Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I like – you know, I've known from experience by talking to people who've been, you know, where the news is happening, that it's very rarely an accurate portrayal of what's really going on. Uh, And, you know, and I've often had, it's the kind of thing, like if I'm in Japan and an earthquake strikes, everyone will be on Facebook to me saying, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's like 500 kilometers away from where I am, you know, and you you should know that, that I'm miles away. Uh, it's just like such some a... some places and situations are dangerous. So I think it's important to, as long as you have the right like mind frame, and as long as you know that you can walk away at any time, and that you know you should speak to people before going somewhere, and um, that that's dangerous. You can find out where not to go, and you know if people get robbed often in a certain place, just stay away from there, and just kind of keep your wits about you, and you have travel insurance. I mean, yes, exactly. You kind of 
shouldn't stop yourself from going somewhere. No, I think, absolutely. Anyway. I mean, I remember a simple example is I went with my son. He was three or nearly four, I think. Um, went to uh, Malaysia for a couple of weeks with a Malaysian friend of mine. And mm-hmm. a couple of people were like, oh, you know, you, you've got to be very careful. He's going to get sick from the, you know, from the food and the dirty water, blah, blah, blah. And, it, you know, it played on my mind because I think, you know, I'm responsible for him. I don't want him to get really sick. And we were there. He was fine. And back home in Perth, my friend's um, kids, same age, ended up getting a really bad bout of gastro and ended up in hospital here in Perth. So mm-hmm. if we'd stayed in Perth, we probably would have been hanging out with them and my son would have got sick. But off we went to Malaysia and he was, uh, we were careful and, you know, sensible and he was fine. So that was like, kind of like I thought, oh, that's life teaching me not to stress so much about these things and just, you know, like you follow advice and I always look up those kind of things. And I try and talk to people who, you know, have been there. Like I'll often talk to people who've been to places I've been with their kids and, you know, people I know Mm -hmm. have, you know, a fairly sensible attitude to life or, you know, that kind of I agree with um, and find out what they thought when they were really there, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think thanks to the internet, there's a lot of ways to get your information. And if you find some sensible ways and you don't, you know, take, don't uh, take a flight into the middle of a war zone or something, then, yeah. you know, most of the time you'll be fine. And bad stuff happens it's at home It's kind as well. of like, I don't know, like I kind of want to get into those situations and see some of those things oh, as well. And that's what I've kind of been struggling with on this trip. Mm. So there's a lot going on at the moment in Venezuela and I'm really close to Venezuela and I'd really like to go there. And so many people have said don't. Like people from there that I've met have said if you go there, like you're going to be in massive trouble. So I'm staying away, but like mm. I kind of still... I'm curious to hear the stories and see the people because I feel like it would be just another level of experience that I've never had before. And I reckon I could, um, you know, lend a hand as much as I could and it would just be really, um, I feel like it would be a a big experience and uh, like a life-changing one. But, yeah, I don't know. It's tricky to decide, isn't it? Yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if the locals are saying stay away, then I tend to follow what they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like, okay, you've got yeah. a point. They kind of explain what was going on. It's pretty full on. But yeah. um, so if you could wake up anywhere in the world tomorrow, <clears throat> Amanda, mm-hmm. you've got one item. Where would you be and what would your item be? <laughs> and, you, and your son cannot be the item. Oh, I was just going to ask you. <laughs> and neither can any Japanese snacks. Oh, you know me too well already. So I was going to, I think I would like to wake up in Japan. Um, but not with a snack. I just wanted to wake up with my very favourite food in the world and eat that all day. Does that count as an item? And my favourite favourite food What's is... What's the food? Yeah, it's um, okonomiyaki in Japan. So did you try it when you were there? So it's like a cabbage pancake with what, the most... What was of, it? Sorry? Sorry. It's a terribly long name. Okonomiyaki. So it's like a cabbage oh, yeah, with pancake that sauce? with the sauce. Oh, my God. It's like the best food in the universe. I crave it I constantly. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and it does not taste the same anywhere else in the world as in Japan. And um, honestly, that would just Did make me so happy. Did you make it so yourself? Um, yes. You yeah, yeah. In the restaurant where you make it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> actually, when we were there with my son, we were making it ourselves, but um, <laughs> they kept coming up to help us because uh, apparently we were doing it wrong. <laughs> 
and we were in this tiny out. little place. There's no tourists there. It was it was a little restaurant near where I used to teach, and um, yeah, not where um, any tourists ever go. So I think they were a bit. Uh, I think they were sure we couldn't do it, and so they kept coming to help. <laughs> it was so cute, but so delicious. Yeah. So that's you know I would love to wake up in Japan. I miss it ever since I moved away. I still miss Japan constantly. Whereabouts in Japan? Um, I lived in Osaka and in Nara, so or you know, same kind of area. But um, yeah, I, honestly, just the middle of Osaka would be fine. That's um. Like, have you have you ever been to Okinawa? I have been to Okinawa. It was an awesome place. Oh, it was so different. Like because it was so partly Japan and partly not Japan. It was a real mix and had its own culture. And then that like the American influence there, and it was fascinating. Yeah. I loved it. I'd love to go back there. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really liked Okinawa. I had like a really weird experience there. My cousin flew over from Serbia like three weeks into my four week trip. Huh, and cool. um, he was like, tomorrow I'll be in Osaka. And he's like joking or whatever. And then he just rocks up in Osaka. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and then we ended up like getting on a plane that night and we ended up going to Okinawa. And then we went to um, this place called Iriomote. It's like uh, one of the smaller islands. Oh, uh, awesome. bit- Bit further yeah, down, and yeah. we're a bit further down, yeah. And we're on this island, and we're like hide this little pink Nissan Micra, and we're like driving around with all this like random food and snacks and alcohol. <laughs> and we found this beach, and the beach was like uh, all the way down, like it was so far away from where we were at the top of this cliff. And we were like, "How are we going to get to this beach?" Like we we're driving around for three hours. We fi- finally found the beach, and we're so excited. So we ended up going through this like jungle for like, it was like a 20 minute hike down to the beach and we had like all this shopping and stuff with us <laughs> and we get down to the bottom and the whole beach is moving. Like it was really trippy. Like the, all the, it looked like all the sand and everything was moving, um, like one direction and the water was moving and I've never seen anything like it. Whoa. And we'd actually walked in in on a uh into the middle of a migration of hermit crabs oh, no and there was way. like thousands yeah they were just everywhere <laughs> and it was really weird and we were trying not to step on them and then we just kind of like had a fire and cooked some food and drank some beers and we caught up on like six years we hadn't seen each other for like six oh, years before that so that's just an amazing. awesome anyway, day <laughs> yeah it was a good day yes uh but yeah i've got like a special spot for okinawa um, have you got any really special memories that you've had with friends overseas or with family or is there any kind of special places, um, where you've just really had moment, a moment like that? Oh goodness. Um, so, so Probably many. Heaps. Yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, the one that springs to mind is, is more recent, but it's one I keep telling people about. So my son and I went to, um, to Fiji last month or the one before, not that long ago, uh-huh. but we went with this, um, tiny tour company who does this empowerment tourism. And so they're helping locals create jobs for themselves, basically kind of um, like next level volunteer tourism, you know, I think, uh, you know, like a, a way that will actually work. And so we spent a day in this little village in Fiji where they have never seen tourists before. And um, my son got to meet all the local kids and his um, his school teacher had organised for their class to write letters to the kids that we were going to meet and then they were writing letters back. And so my son was just in the middle of all these Fijian kids having a ball and chatting to them and getting to know them. And like the village elders, because he was the only kid with us, so the village elders kept coming up and talking to him and um, 
we had like just to see him there and see his confidence in that situation and to see him understand like when you had to be culturally appropriate like we had a, a welcoming ceremony and we all had to take our turn to drink kava and mm-hmm. and when you ate kava tastes really awful and um and I he, think it tastes bad at any age. Oh, it, it tastes <laughs> disgusting to me too. But um, but I think like eight year old taste buds are way more sensitive. And um, yeah, you know, and he, you know, he did the he followed the right ritual. He had to clap in the right way and all these things. And you know, everyone's watching. The whole village is watching him. But he did it exactly <laughs> right. And he didn't even grimace. Didn't even make a face about it. You know, he just whispered to me afterwards how awful he thought it tasted. But, um, and, you know, he even politely had some in the, in the farewell ceremony as well. And just, like, that was to me such a warm, special moment that whole day to see that, you know, I've managed over these years to bring him up in such a way that he understands how to fit in in a different culture and how to how to have fun with people he's just met who don't necessarily speak the language very well and, and all of the same language well and all of that. And um, just to be so welcomed in that kind of, you know, really special off the beaten path situation. So that was like a real warm, fuzzy day that I will always, always remember and talk about. That's actually the best. That was recently, <laughs> you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, last month or so, maybe six, eight weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. It was That's awesome. Crazy. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. Fiji's an amazing place and it's really cool that you had that kind of an experience with him. You didn't just go to like the resorts and, you know, stay on the beach the whole time. It's really cool that you actually went into the villages um, got to know some people and got to see the, the traditions and um, and all that kind of thing and do some volunteering. That's really cool. Just because you mentioned volunteering, it's something that, like, to be honest, I need to do more research on because I really want to contribute in some way. Um, do you have any, like, uh, experience with it or do you have any tips on, you know, what you might think is a good way to volunteer or um, any the sites you could refer to or anything? Oh, I don't know about resources, but it's just I, I think you have to do your research really, really, really well. And I, I think it's it's very trendy to go and volunteer and feel yeah. like you're doing something helpful. Yeah. But it's often not particularly helpful or not a sustainable thing or not what the yeah. people really need and so on. So I think, you know, those kind of things where you all go and kind of build a house together is not a, you know, not a sustainable kind of volunteering or... Um, you know, you go and volunteer in an orphanage, you know, you might, sometimes they, you know, they might not be doing the best thing. They might, you know, there's lots of tricky parts, but I think the best ways, if you can identify like what skills you really have to offer, like what's, you know, what you've done in the past and the training you have, that's something that could be useful somewhere and find a way to work with, um, with people in that capacity. A friend of mine, um, Gosh, she's in her sixties now, but she often spends a couple of months a year volunteering around around the traps, and she won't go through like a a registered kind of volunteer tourism kind of place, but she'll just yeah. seek out somewhere. Um, like recently, she was in a a tiny village in Malaysia, and there was um, oh, I don't know exactly the story, but there was kind of a school there or something that you know had been founded by some people that she you know a friend of a friend of a friend knew her, and she found out that they really could use the help of someone going there to help with the kids and teach them some English. And so she went and did that. And that's what she used to do for a job. So she went and did that for like two or three months there. And I think that finding, you know, it's so much harder, but finding a way to find your own place in the world where they really need you. And, um, and it's not like not a volunteerism program where there's a lot of money going to, you know, all sorts of people along the way. Uh, you know, that's probably the best way to do it, but obviously the hardest way to do it too. So 
it's it's very tricky to find just the right way to help out, I think. But this group I went with, um, they're called Hands On Journeys and they go into these communities and set up like sustainable, help the locals set up sustainable businesses and they'll bring groups to them for a while. But then the their aim is that this will become a sustainable business and then they will market themselves to get tourists to them without having these tours lead them there. So I think that's kind of a good approach as well. But it's really hard. Sure. So they're essentially teaching them how to fish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll definitely have a link of that in the show notes. And um, yeah, I, I had a chat recently with a, a guy called Michael Delacovo, who was like the CEO of Effective Altruism, and they were looking at like the most effective way to give and um, the ratios of how much goes to the mm. people and how much goes to advertising and everything. And that was really convoluted and, and complicated. But um, I guess it is worth, you know, it's it's very easy to just sign up to something, pay a bit of money and go help out and say, okay, I've helped out. But I think it is worth taking the time with something like this, especially if you really do truly want to make a difference, um, which I believe a lot of people do. So, yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, but yeah, so this has been a really good chat. I don't, I don't really know where to go with this. I think we're, I think we're almost up for time, but, um, I really enjoyed your, you know, view on travel and I feel like I've learned a lot just from talking to you and hopefully people have learned a lot just from listening. Oh, thank you. That's great. I could talk about it for about 24 hours nonstop, I reckon. So (laughs) that's just the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I really appreciate, um, you coming on the show. How can people you know, um, tune into your channel. Where can they find you? Are you on Spotify? You're on iTunes. What's the story? Yep. So anywhere that you listen to podcasts, basically Spotify, iTunes, anywhere. If you just search for the Thoughtful Travel Podcast, you will find me there. Um, and on the web itself, if you look up notaballerina.com, that's where the podcast gets hosted on there. Cool. And that's your blog? Yeah. So that's my blog and the show notes for the podcast end up in there as well. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. And I really do appreciate it since we're on the other side of the world and um, really appreciate you making the time for me. Even, yeah. Perth time's strange. Yeah. Perth time's really <laughs> tricky, but no worries. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks heaps. I hope you enjoyed this very, very special chat with Amanda Kendall. Um, I know I did. She's a blogger, a teacher, social media addict, a traveler, a podcaster. She's got so many hats, but she does it all really well. And um, I really got some good insights out of that chat, and I really hope you did too. If you want some more information about Amanda, she's got a website, amandakendall.com. She has like consulting services, and she can really help you out with your social media and brand presence. Otherwise, you can go to her blog, notaballerina.com, or check out her podcast, which I really think you should do, the Thoughtful Travel Podcast on iTunes. It's pretty much available anywhere a good podcast is, and I'll also have links on goodpeopleeffect.com. Um, But please, please, please don't forget to check out my upcoming launch of my new YouTube channel, Today Dreamer. I've got some good stuff on there that I think can really help put some people out. So please check that out, Today Dreamer on YouTube. But yeah, until next time, have a good one.